it's just, I didn't want to, to have a negativity and a darkness in my pictures because that was what I was trying to avoid in my personality. And photography has always been my outlet. I got very lucky in finding it. And it's always been the thing. If I'm having a problem, I know I'm not shooting enough because noise. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, today we are going deep into my own personal envy here. We are going to talk to a photographer whose work that I look at, and I think, oh, Lord, I wish I could do that. It is beautiful. It is ethereal. It is touching so many themes that I find, as, as a viewer of photography, really deeply um, beautiful and compelling and challenging. Um, we're talking with Barbara Cole. Barbara is all over the place. She's you know galleries in Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal, Palm Beach, Los Angeles, New York. She's been in London. She's been in Tokyo. She's been in Washington, D.C., all over the world with um, solo exhi- exhibitions, group exhibitions. She's been doing, oh, heavens, look at this here, uh, exhibitions since 1989. So absolutely all over the place. A deep history in fashion and fashion editorial, doing uh, um, wet plate collodion work. Also, and, and this is where I really get to the envy part, the most compelling underwater photography, fashion, photo, you know, shoots that are well beyond my, my limited imagination. I look at them and I just think, to use a technical term here, wow. Barbara, well, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks, Scott. Um, I'm doing great. Yeah, really looking forward to this. I I am too. Barbara, you, you do not have a photography education. You, you didn't come up through an art school that, you know, learning F-stops and, and how to develop and that kind of stuff. And yet you've moved into some pretty technical aspects of photography, both the wet plate stuff uh, and then the underwater fashion stuff. So give, give me uh, the origin story. How, how did the camera first come into your hands as something that you wanted to make art with? Oh, you know, it just kind of happened by accident. I was going through school. I was a teenager. I was just doing high school and I was going through for languages. And I, you know, I've always suffered from depression and I ended up having to drop out. Um, Mm -hmm. had a really bad episode and from there on I got help. So it was all a good thing that happened. But I stopped my education and I was waiting to, um, you know, to, to get back into school and, and maybe see if I could make that work, etc. And I was modeling for the rest of that school year. At that point, a new newspaper in Toronto, which is now, you know, everywhere, um, but it was about 45 years ago. And I uh, modeled for that fashion editor. And within six months, she offered me a job as fashion writer, full-time, at this fledgling newspaper called the Toronto Sun, by the way. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just, just a little newspaper out there. Okay. A little, little paper that grew, as they said. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I, I wasn't trained. And I, um, like you said, you know, and I, I like the writing, 
But what I, I had to do fashion spreads every week and mm-hmm. really loved was putting those together, getting the models, getting the concept and, you know, shooting them. I didn't shoot them. The photographers did, but they admired my eye and they kept saying, you know, would you look through the viewfinder, etc. And then finally they just said, whatever, Barb, I'm going to get you a camera. <laughs> you can do these things yourself. Cause they would come late, you know, they'd be news photographers and they'd be held up and we'd have the model on salary and everyone was getting upset. So, so yeah, so it was very simple. And I, I started there, I was like 17 or 18. And I just picked up the camera that when I, I started when I was 20, 21, I picked up the camera and I really loved it. And I had always done art projects, but because I wasn't an artist in terms of painting or drawing, I did collage and really cared about that. I would do birthday cards that would take a whole weekend, you know, never thinking that art was a career ever. Uh-huh. But um, when I started taking photographs for the newspaper and I had access to the staff photographers who were so helpful and the darkroom people who were also, you know, willing to share their knowledge. It was like a 10 year, you know, education for mm-hmm. me. So when, when you're at the newspaper, were you, were you also art director and in charge of concepts or were companies coming to you saying, Hey, we've got this concept. We want you to write about it. No, no, it's a weekly fashion spread. And you, I was sent to the collections in Paris and, and in um, London and New York, and you'd see themes in the fashion world. And then you'd come back and illustrate them, you know, get a whole bunch of coats in a certain theme or dresses in a certain theme and find a location and, you know, write about those, that whole idea of what they're wearing and why they're wearing it, why this concept has come to be. And fashion has always been central to my shoots. And Mm -hmm. to tell you the truth, I get inspired. I can't just put a model on, on a white background. I I'm unable to click the shutter when that happens. I need, <laughs> I need some place they are. I need to feel like you look at this picture and you, um, you're intrigued by little elements within the picture that make it like intriguing. Like what, what, it, why is this woman in this? It looks like she's in a, a cafe or she's got this strange thing in her hand. Um, she's, she's got a thought in her head that is like a character portrait. This all didn't start right from the beginning, but I always did kooky things at the Toronto Sun. You know, mm-hmm. I did bathing suit story, for example, uh, where I had, and at that point it was all black and white film. So I, I hand colored the women in the studio uh, in their bathing suits, then cut them out and had them pretend they were jumping off a ship. And and then I, I got files <laughs> in the in the library of the Titanic ship. Oh my! I mean, it was really bad taste, I guess. But, <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I you know I glued them on, and these models in these fabulous bathing suits are jumping off the Titanic. So I've always done you know little fun storylines, or there's always for me there's always got to be a concept. Well, t- tell me, I, I was you know doing my research. I was going through your website. I was going through some other stuff and I came upon the story where you painted outfits on glass and then had a nude model behind them, almost like the cutout clothes, as if they were in the the, the outfits that were painted on the glass. Tell me about that concept, beginning, middle and end. How did it come to you? How did it work out? I don't know how it came to me, quite frankly, but I had a great 
feeling that if I bought a piece of plexiglass and put a model behind it and my my stylist who was working with me felt he could draw, right? He felt like he mm-hmm. could do dresses for me. But at the last second, he lost his nerve and told me about this other guy, a student at a community college who was just fantastic and would be happy to come in and do it. So it was the best exchange because this guy was amazing. And we did, we did, um, the shoot as a creative and then um, a fashion magazine picked it up and we did it as like a 10 page spread in their magazine because it was just such a great concept, you know, like we just took Fendi, for example, clothes that we wouldn't have ordinarily and painted them on this model who was completely comfortable naked. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, she was pretending she was walking her dog. So we painted in a leash and a little dog or she, you know, was, uh, she had these, this, we would do parts like the hat would be real and, and the dress would be painted on. But then I removed and Photoshopped the edges of the plexiglass. So it was a little bit more interesting to read. You didn't just say, Hey, you know, Oh, painted on plexi. It was just, Mm -hmm. she's wearing this. How is this painted on her? (laughs) So it was, but it was fun. And I find that, you know, all the people in my business are so creative and always looking for a way to be, creative on a day-to-day and and it's it's hard when you're doing a shoot for a major department store or something like that they they you have their parameters but when you're doing a playing creative with another creative human being you go to town you know you just kind of let loose and get it out of your system before the next boring job <laughs> i love it i was looking at it and of course the, the practical part of my mind came in because you know you've painted these cost these outfits these this fashion um and then the model comes stand behind it well what if it doesn't fit um <laughs> <laughs> it's, it has to fit because she was standing there in a pose oh, okay painted while she was standing oh okay see, I, I, okay okay i was you know he was like an amazing fashion illustrator really mm-hmm. and uh, he got a kick out of it he did these <laughs> <laughs> really random things <laughs> You, you, that, that that's one of those. I, I wish I was at the concept meeting for that one because I'd love to see the looks of the people on the people's faces when you're pitching this idea, and they're going, "What?" Well, I didn't <laughs> pitch it. Somebody saw it and then called me in, so oh, okay. they knew what they were in for, and they called it art class. I think it was something like that. <laughs> <laughs> with the early inter- with the early interest in fashion and and the early interest in in being creative and sort of doing something funky and new. A lot of people describe your work as having a really painterly approach or, or, or a painterly feel to it. Um, are, are you going for a painterly aesthetic? And if so, what does that mean? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And what it means to me is that I started learning how to take pictures. And once I got that, I found that that wasn't enough because I'm a frustrated painter. I'm, I'm not trained and I'm I think it's too slow a medium for me but I felt I love that aesthetic so one day early early on in my career I came across a book by an amazing photographer Sarah Moon if you're familiar yep. with her. yes I am and the book was called improbable memories and I I bought it in 1975 and that was the beginning of my art career that showed me what 
how what the possibilities were with a photograph that it didn't have to be um, a document illustrating something um, real. It could be as painterly as you wanted. And that's where I wanted to position my work. I didn't know how I was going to get there. And in, mm-hmm. in the beginning, I did black and white hand-painted pictures. And then I, I put on those women in the pictures, lace collars and rhinestones on their buttons. And, you know, little, I, I applique so I gave it a dimensionality. And back in the 70s and 80s, that was not looked upon in a, in a nice way. They all felt like I was somehow denigrating the photograph, you know. So that, But I, I just loved it, and I wanted to do it, so I kept doing it. <laughs> and, I, and I always, in the back of my mind, had this woman's work that she could, and over time, you know, she grew and she changed, but she always, her, her photographs intrigue me to this day. You know, I'm hoping one day she'll know me and we can just exchange pictures. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but Sarah, if you're listening, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we'll put you guys in contact, but okay. You said this is the seventies in, in the eighties. You're working with Polaroid though. So I mean, you, you've got an old, Oh, heavens, what was it called? Oh, the SX-70. Um, yeah, I think I had one of those way back then, too. So you're getting images. I mean, you're not playing in the darkroom. This is stuff that's coming out, and then you're messing with it. Why? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, that was the most beautiful time of my life. I was shooting SX-70, which is, for people who aren't familiar with that, it's just a toy camera, and it has a pack of 10 prints in it, and it comes out the front of the camera and continues to develop for a few minutes. And it doesn't harden to the red, blue, and cyan, um, or the cyan, blue, and black, or white, whatever it is, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, were mushy under the top of the plastic coating on the very top. So, you know, people would say, be careful with a Polaroid, because if you put your thumb on it, you might get a thumbprint kind of thing. Well, let's back up a second. There was a picture in Time magazine that I came across. I had not heard of this painter before. Uh, he's world, he's known, well known, and he died just several years ago. His name is Lucian Freud, and it was a man from the back, and he was a very fleshy man, seated in a studio that was, you know, kind of raw and gritty. And I just fell in love with that picture. And somebody at Polaroid had given me that. Polaroid camera as a gift because I had done other Polaroid work and they said well you might like to play around with this thing but I hadn't really wanted to because what I had seen with that Polaroid camera the manipulations were very uh, when I say people had drawn on the surface to push the emulsion away in a very rough way and I didn't like that aesthetic. So I never used it. But then I saw the picture of Lucian Freud, uh, man from behind, and I just fell in love with it. And I, like a light bulb, I said, I can do this with Polaroid. And so what I did is I just pushed the emulsion around very, very gently until the white in the emulsion rose up over the blacks and the reds and things and became like a, a, a a stroke from an uh, from oil painting brush, and uh, it it looked like literally looked like an oil painting. And then at the same time, digital prints were coming into vogue, and I sent these little three by four inch Polaroids after they were manipulated down to 
a person in New York or Buffalo or Boston, something like that. And I, he had, he scanned them and made huge prints. So all of a sudden, these little marks that I gently made on the top of the Polaroid became, it, it became like an oil painting. And when oh I showed my. them, people couldn't believe that it was a photograph. And, you know, we spent a lot of time not discussing the picture, but how we did it, which was kind of a mistake. Never do that. <laughs> magic, but um, They wouldn't believe me that it wasn't a photograph. So, so uh, that it was a photograph. So that's what we did. So that's how that came to be. I loved Polaroid film. They had many different types and I had played around with the instant black and white film that um, was 35 mil and there was a very high contrast one that I loved and then one that was more suitable. And uh, had a greater tonal range. And I would, you know, have the Polaroid instant printer and make prints like snapshots for your photo album from that. And I just, I mean, I, I did everything Polaroid. I had an 8x10 Polaroid, 4x5. I had, you know, proofing Polaroid. <laughs> but then they went bankrupt. <laughs> I said, you didn't buy enough, Barbara. That's <laughs> right. I thought it was really spending a lot of money. Everyone else did too. I think it was like $200 a box for 10 sheets for the 8x10. Yeah. You know, I got it. I, just one more, just technical question. When you're dealing with, with the little, um, you know, the tiny ones, my God, how many packets of film did you waste learning how to do this? Oh, not that many. Uh, really? You know, I did. I, um, well, first of all, it, it, you, it's automatic, so you get a good picture. What happened was I wanted to combine it with my studio lights. Right. I didn't want to use the flash in the camera. I wanted it to look as lush and beautiful as you can do with regular film. So I had an inventor in California who worked with me and we took this camera and made all kinds of different little SX-70 cameras. One that just did close-ups because I was commercial photographer at the time and there was a wine campaign and they wanted me to shoot the bottles. <laughs> so I did an, a little close-up uh, Polaroid camera and then I did one that would sync with my studio lights. And uh, I managed to take the automatic thing, like manage the automatic with ND filters and so I could get what I wanted, but still be able to use that fun film, film in the instant camera. Oh, field. I love it. I love it. I, I should tell everyone, if, if you go to Barbara's website, uh, which is barbaracole.com, uh, there, one of her um, galleries there is called the Iris Prints. And these are all these images and they're, they're breathtaking. Beyond the technical side, th there's a real mood in, in these images. There, there's a real sense of, I'm, I'm going to get, the words are all going to be wrong, but the right idea. They're, they're quiet, they're vulnerable, they're introspective. Um, they're very soft images, um, it, emotionally soft but also deep was there a thematic idea in your head at this time or was this the aesthetic that you were dealing with just in general um i think that every photographer brings themselves into the picture okay and i didn't have a like i didn't set out to do that it's just how i expressed myself so the models would pick up on that and and give me that I now I realize that I have a certain mood that I impart to my pictures and I I know what it is but back then it was just you know a photographer really loving the process of of ex expressing themselves 
mm-hmm. and their emotions through this art form and it just ended up like that you know and there are some photographers who are it's really odd because there's some photographers are super uh, uh super quiet but their pictures are always a figures jumping and you know just full of energy and full of life and mm-hmm. you and they whisper (laughs) and I am you know I really have struggled with depression all my life and serious depression and these pictures are the opposite so you meet me and you think you'll meet somebody who is ultra feminine and you know gentle and soft whatever and I'm like bipolar (laughs) I get really (laughs) angry (laughs) and um, I don't I don't look like my pictures. I feel like my pictures, you know, it's the inside coming out, but um, yeah, it's just sort of the opposite. You see someone doing one thing and they do the opposite. And at that time I needed pictures to be my savior, like uplifting and lighthearted because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to live in, it sounds very dramatic, but it's just, I didn't want to, to have, a negativity and a darkness in my pictures because that was what I was trying to avoid in my personality. And photography has always been my outlet. I got very lucky in finding it. And it's always been the thing. If I'm having a problem, I know I'm not shooting enough. Because, oh, I like that. No, it's true. And I mean, even recently in January, you know, I really had a, an episode of depression and got very frightened because, you know, you think it's it's going to last forever. And, of course, you could be fine the next day even. But right. this one lasted, you know, too long for me to feel comfortable. And I, in a moment when there was, like, less blackness around me, I, I came back to my studio and I just planned eight shoots like sat there, planned them, got my, like my crew together and it went away, you know, and that is, I just started being positive again. I just started getting excited about life again. I just started moving forward. It's such a great vehicle. It's, it's like if somebody is a musician, then they would say, you know, I just, I'll go and play some music and it will make me feel better. And photography is more collaborative because you can't just go and take a picture unless you're doing still life or something or shooting individuals, but you can go and plan to work, you know, get that motor going again. And that really brings all the energy back. All, you know, you just really feel inspired and, and it's strange how that happens, but I would recommend anybody do that. I mean, it, I'm sure you do it already, but that's that's how I get out of it. You know, that's how I build back my, my energy. And the last time that happened, I didn't know what I was shooting. I planned all these shoots, but I just wasn't sure because I just finished a show. And I uh, I just said to myself, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you shoot, just shoot. And oddly enough, within two shoots, I was doing some work that really excited me again. So, (laughs) you know, you just take the pressure off and say whatever it is, it is, but I just love what I do. And then, or, you know, I love being with these people and they're my family and we're like working on something together. And you open that floodgate and suddenly the some idea creeps in and and ensnares you and you're off to the you know to the next show the next project 
off to the deep end in your case. The, I should tell everybody um, that you are very uh, upfront and, and out about the mental health stuff. And you've got a lovely page on your website of mental health resources with all sorts of links. And you, there's all sorts of doors that I want to walk through now with the stuff that you were just saying. You know, so many photographers, you, know, you say, what are you taking a picture of? They're not going to say a building. They're going to say, I'm taking a picture of anger. I'm taking a picture of love. Or I'm taking a picture. You know, they'll respond with an emotion emotion, a feeling, and whatever's in front of the lens is just the evidence of that. So I, I find, when I said your work is beautiful, I, I mean, there's, there's not a sense of loss sort of hiding in that, that, that beautiful. It's a really kind of positive, at least for me, uh, a real positive sense of beauty that's in there and not schmaltzy, stereotypic you know, stuff, but, but genuine beauty. Tell me about the pool. When, when did this first come into your head? And tell me about the first time you... Because when, when, when we say underwater photography, you know, folks out there, if you're thinking porpoises and whales, you, that's not this. Um, th- this is a studio set. And, and th- this, this is where the, the envy and the jealousy comes in because <laughs> I, 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 oh, I want to try this so bad now. But tell me how this first came up. Well, when I was at the Sun way back when again... Um, making these fun shoots, I I wanted to shoot underwater and just to see what would happen. And Mm -hmm. so um, at the time, Nikon had a set of underwater cameras that looked like a regular 35 mil camera, no housing around. It was just a waterproof camera and they would loan it. So I called them up and I borrowed the camera and so it, it operated like a real camera. So there was no scary thing there okay. and uh, I didn't have a pool but my girlfriend said her mother would let me come and use the pool so anyways we did it it wasn't super like I didn't get any awe-inspiring pictures that's for sure but I really loved it and realized at the same time that you couldn't really borrow a pool because it's even your girlfriends <laughs> because the models are freezing and we're walking in the house and we're getting towels out of the dryer and they're dripping <laughs> everywhere and <laughs> making noise. You know, It's like, okay, this was fun, but we'll leave it. And then, so that was in the seventies, 1970s. And then, <laughs> versus the 1870s okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm a time traveler <laughs> anyway um in the 2000s uh we had a house with a big backyard we had just moved in and the backyard was you know really just a mud pool because it was just in, it was down in the shade and it yeah whatever so we decided wouldn't it be great? We had children and wouldn't it be great to put a pool in? And I have swum all my life in high school. I was on the swim team. I did backstroke and I loved it. So I've <laughs> always swum <laughs> and I, I thought, wouldn't that be great to have my own pool? And you know, it's Canada, so you can only keep it out for five months maybe, but still that was pretty cool. And it's magical, you know, if you've not had a pool in your life and then suddenly you have you just walk outside and there's the pool. It's like pretty gifted. So mm-hmm. I had the pool and I just thought of it for swimming. 
uh, for a couple of years. And then one summer, I was having trouble finishing a project, which is common for artists. And I thought, wow, I should go back in the pool again. Now I have my own pool. I don't mind if people mess up my house. So... Uh, I think I'll try it. And I also had a vision for how it would look and what I wanted to do with it. And from the very first roll of film that I shot, I knew that it was pretty powerful. And, you know, just, again, started from the beginning. I literally did learn how to shoot with Flash Underwater by reading books about how to shoot sharks and whales, and not whales, but porpoises and fish. Because... Mm -hmm. Gray is gray, whether it's a fish or a dress. You know, you just want to know how metallic works and, you know, how flat, how your flash will do with flat and how far you need to be. And so, you know, it was pretty, pretty instant success. And then when I was hired commercially for things, it got a little dicey because I hadn't done my years of, you know, making mistakes. So I kind of made all my mistakes during my formative years shooting great campaigns, <laughs> I learned that I needed glasses when things were completely out of focus when they came back. Okay. Uh, it was just weird things. And for focusing, I had this cord because everything was manual on the first cameras that I had. So you had to measure if the model is three feet away. I had a piece of green string and if it was two feet, it would be a hot pink string. So we could quickly just, you know, pull it against the model and myself and we'd know the flash would work within a certain distance and the focus would be okay. And that was brilliant the first time. Second time, again, things came back out of focus and I realized that the, sh the, the, the string was cotton and it had shrunk. Who thinks that, right? <laughs> I did bathroom change the next time. <laughs> and I spray painted it pink and green. <laughs> you know, you're going, wow, I finally licked this problem and, and now it's back again. Why? You know, so it was just a series of, you know, really crazy incidents. I did a fashion campaign for somebody and uh, they... I convinced them that they needed Lebutin shoes because they wanted to elevate their brand. And they said, why don't you just spray paint the sole of this shoe red? Because that's his signature. Right. But, you know, I'm never one for like, I didn't want to rip off his signature. So I just said, no, you have to buy the real thing. And then within, I swear, two minutes i'm in the water with this model and i'm seeing flecks of red in front of my goggles <laughs> I, I whispered to my assistant i'm like you know expletive and uh and he, he said just keep it to yourself <laughs> and we ended up painting it in photoshop oh, God. to the shop and i said your shoes aren't waterproof like, what if you walked on the pavement, you know? Anyways, they mm -hmm. didn't really care. <laughs> I wanted to just try it. <laughs> Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. 
We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. So w- walk me through just the tech side of, of having um, a studio underwater. We, because I've, I've looked at, you know, your website, I've looked at some of the videos. You're not wearing a scuba tank. So, and, and the models certainly aren't. So this is basically, they're there for one shot, then they have to come up and breathe. I don't know how, you, how you've got the lights set up, I, you know, the camera. You've got a big housing these days, at least in the video that I saw. I do, I do. So, so just, just, just from the gear and, and the tech side, what does it take to take a good picture, a, a, a fashion shoot underwater? Well, you know, number one, it's the eye of the photographer, okay? Because everybody mm-hmm. has housings now, okay? Right. They just need to have a concept. When people come up to me at my exhibitions, they say, you know, what do you use? And, you know, they're just trying to find out what they need to purchase in order to get that. And I say to them, I do tell them, and then I say to them, but whatever you do, make it yours. You know, go in with a concept. So many times I see underwater photographers, like more than 80% of the time, they're just so happy to be able to stay down long enough with their model to get one image in focus that they think they've won the lottery. But it's, it's not about that, you know, that is, that's technically difficult. And I always do a, um, like every summer before I start shooting, I do a, a casting call because everybody thinks they can uh, sink to the bottom and control their breath and impose at the same time with their eyes open. Um, and last summer we did like close to 40 models and we came up with six who wow. actually, you know, I and even of those six, I was a little nervous. I thought, yes, I think they're going to be okay. But if they come to the shoot and they're nervous, and then they're not going to sink. You know, they're going to hyperventilate and they're going to float like a boy. You know, or a buoy. Um, yep. So is is it, is it just their confidence with the water? Is is that the, the, the sort of the door they have to walk through first? For sure, you have to. They have to have a comfort level with the water. They have to be able to comfortably and in a relaxed way let the air out of their body just enough so that they can sink. And the key is it's not all about sinking. It's once you've sunk, now you can pretend you're at the end of a runway and start to pose. And it's not just one shot. I'll sometimes get up to 30 seconds worth of time with Mm -hmm. them. And... What I find is when I've shot something that I like, I'll definitely show them so that they can conceive of what I'm doing because a lot of it is like they're in this wide open pool and a dress and they don't see the parameters, the box I've put them in. But once I framed it and they see what they look like, they understand and we begin that collaboration I was going to ask you, because you have a great quote in one of your videos. You say, directing an underwater shoot's a bit like survival. And and, and then right after that, there's a little segment where a model is looking at, uh, you know, the, the early pictures and going, oh, okay, I get it. So, I mean, it, when, if you're doing this kind of a shoot, is there a, you know, the first hour, let's say, I'm just making that up, you know, but the, the first session is coming to a collaboration and then you begin? Uh, it takes about an hour. Okay. We usually shoot for four or five. Oh, my. 
Yeah. So, but the first hour is they're so hot, like they, they want to please me. And the harder they try, the more they float, you know, because they're really trying so hard to do what I want that they get tense. So, uh-huh. and, but the thing is, you're in the water, they're in the water. That's it. Everybody else is on dry land. So you have formed a bond already because you two are cold and wet and <laughs> whatever, you know? And, um, I just really, you know, having been a model, I really understand where they're coming from. And they're so much more courageous than I ever was. Like to be asked to do an underwater shoot, you know, I would be, I would stay up the night before, like I would be so nervous, but they come in, they have such, such a great attitude. There was one shoot where I needed the models to lie on their back and then go under the water by two or three inches. So that is a formula where the water just goes straight up your nasal cavity. Yep. Okay. They did that maybe 30 times for me. You know, they, and they just, I said, are you okay? And often (laughs) I say, look, are you okay? Like, tell me, you have to tell me because Mm -hmm. wearing goggles, you know, I have a weight belt. You're not, you know, you, you're, you're working hard. You're, you got to tell me if this is too much for you because Hey, I'll just shoot. <laughs> so, but I am a mother, so <laughs> that helps. Okay. You're somebody's child, Barb. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara, t- let me ask about a couple of the specific um, galleries that, that you've got with this th- with the pool theme going on. Um, and and the first is the one that you call Beat, where everyone's in in white clothing of some sort or another. Um, but many of them have their head or at least their noses above water. So, I, I, I two questions. First of all, what are you going after with, with this? this theme here or, or this, this particular gallery. Oh, you mean this, the, the exhibition, the show? Yes. I see. Um, well, with beat, it was just post COVID and I just wanted people to celebrate and I wanted them to feel free and I just wanted them to dance underwater and just, you know, we just, the year before I had shot flowers because I couldn't use humans. And it was really the first time in my life I had not been able to do what I love. You know, I was, I couldn't get models. I couldn't get stylists. I, I was just sitting and shooting water glasses in my studio for heaven's sakes. And I was so delighted in the summer to get out with my assistant, and just shoot flowers to, I felt like my identity was, was washing away. And when, by the time I got around to beat People were still like, we were still worried about COVID, but we, we were able to congregate again. And I just asked them to dance. <laughs> oh, it, it is an energetic, legit, I mean, it's a threat. There's, there's a good word for this. It's a thrilling series. I'm, I'm looking at it on your, on your website right now. And one of the things that's occurring to me is the use of the backdrop, the, the setting. The pool is not a static thing for you. It's, it's not a set piece. Um, the, the, the set design even though it's underwater, is as much a part of your composition as anything else. How, how do you go about creating that? Well, yeah, I mean, when you start out, like in 2000, when I did my first underwater show, it was enough for me to do the white dress against the blue and that was the aesthetic and it worked. Mm-hmm. The second show I did was called white noise and it was the opposite of underworld which was serene white noise was about you know 
capturing the bubbles at, you know, two thousandths of a second. And the bubbles became their clothing. And then how much blue and white can you do? You know, so (laughs) (laughs) I had to change it up. And I went to chromatics and I thought, you know, using my studio know-how, I would think, well, if, if I was in the studio, what would I do? And I, I thought, well, I'm going to make this a very colorful series. And it was, you know, I used pieces of plexiglass and I built a tower over my pool where I could shoot from and shoot down on green plexiglass and blue and red plexiglass and black. And, you know, and I was going for a Rothko kind of feeling because his, you know, his segmentation of color and the way the two but up against each other in that uneven line, that soft line, the water does that naturally. So I was kind of vibing on that. And then, um, you know, I started to get away from dresses and, and went into Zentai suits, all in one suits. But then, okay, I needed something else. Because like I said early on in the conversation, um, I get in, inspired by background. And I started thinking about gardens and I wanted to shoot people falling off of pedestals and falling through time, it's called. And I thought, well, how can I put um, a backdrop in the pool, you know, that wouldn't wave around or, you know, cause more trouble than it was worth? And I realized that I had shot a series on Polaroid, so you know how long ago <laughs> that was, um, manipulated of gardens in in England. I have cousins in England, and so I, I stayed there for a couple of weeks, and I just mm-hmm. went from garden to garden to garden, and um, you know, and put together this series of manipulated fantasy gardens, you know, full of flowers and manipulated benches and trellises. And at the end of the day, I didn't realize, I didn't feel I could use it. I just, just wasn't me. And so I put it away. And in 2015, I realized, I think it was when I shot Falling Through Time, that I did in fact have gardens. So I got that, that background series out and I scanned them. And that was my background for the foreground models in the pool. And since then, I've kind of continued on with that theme. I always put them in a place so that I'm creating a mood. Uh, You often can't tell these pictures are underwater. The newest series that's showing in September called Somewhere are figures against ballrooms of the 1600s, you know. So there's no limit, you know. You just figure out what you want part of the picture to be, and then you marry it up with another part. So water is a vehicle for me now more than it is the reason. I love the way that people uh, move in water and the way the clothing moves in water, much different than a fan in a studio. And I, you know, I I found when I was shooting somewhere last summer um, that you can't tell that it's in the water really. It's just mm-hmm. women have a certain lightness about them. Uh, well, beautiful. Be- yeah, beautiful images everywhere. Hey, tell me about the, the show, the, the series called Surfacing. Because you say, you know, th- this is part of opening a dialogue on mental health again. Um, but it, here are these images. Now, these are not, 
maybe maybe you know it's a superimposed background um but these are not in your pool these appear to be out in the in the ocean or or the sea somewhere tell well tell just tell me what you're going after with this series because it's, it's really beautiful well i wanted to make the figure smaller than usual it didn't really okay. happen but my my intention was the person a figure in a very big body of water so i you're right, right i did go down south and i shot ocean for background and brought that together with the women surfacing and Mm -hmm. they were you know it's very positive take on mental illness because i feel like these women are fighting to survive you know they're the the vibe is that they're struggling upwards not downwards and in a beautiful way i don't think people want to hear a negative mental health issue um um negative mental health um you know, I can't remember the word now, I've just lost it. But you know, they don't want to look at a negative, dark picture right. about mental health, because if you're feeling or struggling that way, you don't want to look to the dark, you want to look to the light. And that's what these women are hopefully doing for people. And then I paired up with um, Given Hour in the States, and uh, Bell had also one in Canada, uh, just kind of telling people that there's hope. I mean, I was a kid who dropped out of high school, uh, was hospitalized for depression, has had many episodes since, but still manages through art uh, to have a wonderful life. Without the art part, I think I'd be lost. You know, I'd be struggling. But everybody needs to know they should follow that because so many times people say, oh, you can't earn a living doing art. But you can, and and you, you know, you're not going to be as wealthy as a financial analyst or whatever, but what kind of living do you want? You know, do you want to hate your job or do you want to love what you do and struggle to make it work for you, you know, and, and may have a good life and a healthy yeah. mental life from that. Well, then I started putting, um, people started sending me uh, sites of interest. So everything on my mental health website is vetted. I'll read it. Sometimes people have a lot of ads for mattress companies. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, okay. And I'll go, can you take those off? And they go, and then they don't respond. Okay. <laughs> so I, I do the one, the ones there I like, I think they're good. There are some, you know, that are extremely helpful. And I know that when my daughter's friends were having trouble with mental illness, their parents didn't understand. And I found a couple of psychiatrists for them. You know, the doctors would say, why are you calling? And I'd say, well, because I see someone struggling, you know, yeah. and, and I recognize it. You have, you know, you have to be there to know that. So um, yeah, so this is just trying to help in a quiet way. Okay. Well, I, I, the, the entire surfacing series is really affirming, at least, at least from my point of view. And and re- it's I, I can see a lot of positivity in all of this. And, and again, it's beautiful work. Now, to make sort of a, a hard left turn here, you're also into the wet plate Clodian stuff. W- what in the world is that doing in your portfolio? <laughs> <laughs> I know people think it is a hard left turn, but then that's what's so brilliant about this book. The some uh, the um, Between Worlds book is coming out, and it's yeah, we're, I, you know I, I was going to get to that in just a second. <laughs> well, I just wanted to mention that uh, it's not a hard left turn because right. if now you see the through line of my work, I started there, so it's basically handmade black and white pictures. Wet Collodion is the earliest form of photography and it's 
um, you make everything yourself. So the film, the, you actually make the film and the, and the, you know, the developer and the processor. Mm -hmm. The other thing that made me go there was that I was very sick of digital. I, you know, once shot so much digital, I, I felt like to edit the pictures, I, I was mining for gold. You know, there was just an overwhelming number of pictures. When you're used to limiting yourself to 36 frames, you know, suddenly right. you have a gigabyte for one outfit. And it's like, well, what is good? <laughs> you know, so I, I ended up thinking that uh, I wanted to, and the f- films that I loved were disappearing. So I thought this was good on many levels. One, this film can't disappear because you make it yourself. And so you have to worry about Polaroid dying or your favorite black and white film not being, you know, going out of, you know, the product line. And the other thing was I really missed making pictures hands on. You know, I started in the dark room. So this is really making a picture. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be really fun, but it was the most technical thing I've ever learned in my life. I took a short course in Santa Fe with two wonderful teachers who I'm still in touch with now. And um, I knew when I got to the course that this wasn't at all what I thought. It was much more involved. It was going to be hard. But for some reason, I just kept going. I just wanted to do it so badly. So I came back and I'm not a scientist and I'm not that technical a person either. So I kept making mistakes, like big mistakes. Anything in that process is a big mistake. You use the wrong type of alcohol and you've got a big mistake. You know, you do, um, it's hot day and suddenly you have a white kind of, they're called oyster stains on the surface of the print that don't wipe off. There were so many mistakes. I actually stymied everyone who's taught me. They didn't know. (laughs) At the end of the day, I had to fix my last big problem. And then (laughs) suddenly it all came together. So it took me about uh, eight or nine years to get it. Then I worked in it. And now I feel like it's like an extension of myself again, like I do with other photography that I feel like this is my camera and we're going on this journey together. I always felt like I'm walking side by side with my camera, you know, mm-hmm. uh, attached to my hand in this process because I was frightened. Everything, you know, you, you plan a big shoot and then that day your film falls off the front of the plate. You know? <laughs> it's like, just name it, you know, there are so many things, but once you understand what, it, what does what, and you stop being afraid, I think you get it. And the pro the, the, the show I'm working on now is completely unadulterated. It's magnified faces. And again, the women are characters and they're portraits of a character study and there's nothing on the top of them. I, the last Polaroid, the, the last, but collodion series I did with shadow dancing. And I kind of put color film on top of it and did a sandwich so that okay. you still have a bit of color in there. And this time I'm going like pure, like this is my piece of film and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want with it. And it's, you know, my decision and I love it or I hate it, but no one's going to tell me what to do about this, you know, and I'm on top of the game there. So, yeah, 
The Shadow Dancing series is just magnificent. It's, it's got a real kind of 1920s, 1930s vibe to it. And it's, it's just, um, how, well, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, I, if I say Hollywood, I mean that in the best it's, sense. I think, I think I went for storyboarding. I felt like okay. picture tells a story. And the thing about that was, again, make it your own. So tintype or ambrotype, tintype's on aluminum and uh, ambrotype is on glass. Mm-hmm. And that is the, the medium that you use to pour your film on. But I use glass. So I, I do an ambrotype. And the um, everything that you remember from this, you know, 1860s process was, you know, battlefield uh, portraits in black and white with everyone standing stiffly or family portraits where no one moves and no one's smiling. And the reason is that it's, you know, a 13-second exposure. Right, right. (laughs) No one can really look believable at that uh, time. So I knew I wanted to do this, but I didn't want to do that. And so in order to make it my own, I, I like really did experiment for years but now what i do is i put my wet plate in the camera and shoot the scene they hold still as much as they can and i put my four by five piece of film in shoot the same thing process both and then i put the color film so online it looks like a hand colored picture but it, in actual fact, the color element of this film is on plexiglass, an inch in front of the background. Wow. The sepia. So you are looking through that picture the same way I look through the camera at what I'm shooting. So I wanted to give it a different, yeah. slide, you know, and, uh, and it, was, it, it was a really fun project to work on. I would love to see that in the gallery someday. It will. It has been. I, I just rolling it out really slowly. Because <laughs> I want the galleries to understand what the process is. So the Holden Luntz in Florida totally understood what I was doing from the second I mentioned it, and he sold them at Art mm-hmm. My other galleries don't quite know what it is. I've had a couple <laughs> of them come during a shoot because I want them to understand what it is so they can sell what it is and not just say this goes with your cushions, you know, or so mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Barbara, we're, we're running out of time here and I, I could talk to you for hours and hours. Um, but, but very quickly, as we're, as we're recording this, your book is still a month or so out. But by the time this comes out, the book's going to be available to everyone. Um, and it's called Between Worlds. Very quickly, tell, tell us what's in the book. Because the cover shot is just stunning. And that's from the new series, Summer, Somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the book covers my career from 1984 until present day. And what it did is take all these various shoots, uh, various um, styles of mine and show me what the through line is so that all of the barbers are now in one book, you know, and it all makes sense to me and I hope to you. And the exciting part about the book is that it's interactive. So oh. it's 109 pages mm-hmm. and it also got a QR code. So you download their app and then every time you see a picture of a telephone on a page, you scan that picture And one of the videos I've made during, I always make videos about what my shows are about and how I did them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For years I've done that. And so we put them in. 
So you, because there's so much work to cover, we have one example or two examples of a body of work. But if you scan that picture, you'll see it. You know, you'll you'll see the behind the scenes work and uh, the costumes getting made and the you know hair and makeup and the pool and you know you really get a sense that you're there. You know, and you oh. really feel it. Well, I, I cannot, I, I know I'm going to get a copy of this book for the Frames book reviews, um, and I'm excited. I cannot wait. Thank you. <laughs> um, pleasure talking to you. I was going to say, this, this has been fantastic. I, I am deeply, as I said at the beginning, deeply envious, deeply jealous, and really, really happy that I get to be the audience or, or one of, part of the audience for your images, because it is beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Scott. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.